It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, guys. Good morning, guys. That's better. Hey, I'm Steve. I am the lead pastor here at Trailhead. Um, Welcome. And we are working our way through the book of Ephesians. We are in the last chapter and the last series of the book, we called it Outfitted, and we're basically looking at how God outfits us to deal with the challenges of life, right? We're given a promise or a command or a request or an invitation, however you want to look at it in this passage, and that is to put on the whole armor of God so that we might be able to stand in the evil day, right? So the, so the central uh, uh, idea that ties all these, these sermons and these passages together is, is this, that... that there's going to come an evil day. There's a time when, when you know, <laughs> things go wrong. Things aren't going the way you want them to. You're being challenged. You're being pressed. You may even feel like you're being crushed. And in that day, you're either going to stand in your own strength or in God's. You're either going to wear your own armor or you're going to wear God's. And God, in His grace, in His radical generosity, is extending you an invitation. He's willing to loan you his armor. He's willing to let you stand in his strength, his identity, his accomplishment, his performance, and not your own. And if you're going to put this armor on, it essentially means you have to reject the lies that misrepresent who you are and, and misrepresent who God is, the lies that will ultimately derail your life, lead you to make bad choices, and even ultimately turn you into your own worst enemy so that you're on a path of self-destruction, you need to reject the lies and embrace the truth. The truth is sometimes hard, but it is always good. And so that's kind of what we're talking about. We've been exploring. Now, if you've been following, you've been tracking with us through this series, you know that um, as we've been looking at pieces, all the pieces of the armor, we're pretty much almost fully clothed at this point. Good news. Uh, we've put on our belt of, of truth. We've, we've put on our breastplate of righteousness, our helmet of salvation. We've put on our shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. There are a couple pieces of armor that we need to address to complete the outfit. And this morning, we're going to be looking specifically at the shield of faith. Paul tells us to take up the shield of faith because with it, we can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. 
So we're going we're gonna to unpack that. What is the shield? What are the darts? Um, but here's the big idea. Here's the big idea that, that, that we're going to be kind of pressing home this morning, and that's this. If you're going to be pr- protected in the evil day uh, and every day, if you're going to be protected, our faith in Jesus needs to grow our trust in Jesus. Our faith in Jesus needs to grow our trust in Jesus. And some of you are like, that doesn't make any sense. Stick with me. Okay, we'll unpack that. All right, but let's talk a little bit about the shield. What is the shield that he talks about that we're supposed to take up? Well, the Romans had um, large shields that were specifically designed to give them uh, a lot of protection. Okay, so when we're talking about the, the shield of faith, we're talking about one of these large shields. Now, this shield would have been made out of metal um, or wood depending on, on how much money you had, um, whether the government was providing your armor or you were providing your own. If it was metal, obviously that's a lot of great protection. Um, and, and it's a, a large rectangular shield under which you can hide, basically. It's designed to be like, um, I don't know, like one of those riot shields you see the police carrying into mob situations. You know, you can get behind it and it protects you, right? If it was made out of wood, it'd be covered with leather to reinforce it and tie it all together. Um, and the idea behind this was so that, that you could use it as a shield moving into a crowd, but you could also put it above your head to protect you um, from snipers. You think, they didn't have snipers. Yeah, they did. They weren't sitting on the hill with 50 cows, but, but they were sitting up there with bows and arrows. Okay, don't underestimate um, just because their technology was a little bit different from ours. It was no less deadly. All right, these guys would, would, would sit up on the walls if you were approaching a, a walled city, or they would sit up on the ridges if you were going through a valley or approaching a hill. And these guys were deadly. They would take their arrows, they would dip them in tar, and they would light them on fire. And sometimes they would release a barrage of hundreds of arrows at once with the, you know, obviously the, the effect there is, is that anything that's not covered is, is going to get stuck, right? Um, but sometimes they also would, would identify a single target. They'd measure the wind, <clears throat> and they would measure the distance and with deadly accuracy launch a single fiery arrow to take out a single target. These guys were deadly. And these shields were designed to protect them. Okay? And so they would carry these shields. Um, and, and often they would come together in, in groups um, for added protection. Right? So when they all got together, they would all, like, like everyone in the middle, would hold their shield above their head, right? So they'd have a, 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 um, a covering of shields, and the guys in the front would have their shields, and the guys on the sides, and they'd be able to move forward through the battlefield with protection so that when the, the fiery darts, when the arrows came, um, they were protected. All right, a couple things are pretty obvious as we kind of discuss this. First of all, <clears throat> what's better, a big shield or a little shield? Come on. You guys, have you seen the commercial with the little guy, the guy sitting at the table with those kids, right? You know, what's better, big or little? Big! I want you like that, okay? Let's be interactive. Um, I have four hours sleep, so I need you to be energetic for me, okay? Um, and so, yeah, big is better than little, right? We're not talking about like a Captain America type shield, right? You're not Captain America, all right? He can get out there and use it as a, you know, like <clears throat> deflect bullets, right? You get out on the battlefield with a, a little shield or no shield at all, you're in bad shape. When you hit the battlefield, you need to have the shield with you. That's not the time. Like when you're out in the middle of it and the darts are coming down, it's like, oh, I think I forgot something. That's a bad time to remember. You know what I'm saying? This is, you need to equip yourself with this ahead of time. 
right? Another thing that's kind of obvious is that it's better to be with people than alone. If you were to go out on the battlefield and you're like, you know, I think it's going to be safer if I just hang back. I think it's going to be safer if I let all those guys charge into the battle, all those guys move forward onto the field. I'll just hang back here. You know what that does? Pretty much makes you a target, right? You're sitting back there all by yourself. These guys are all moving forward under a mass of shields. If you're an archer and you see one guy sitting in the back, yeah, I think I'll just watch. You're, you're a target, right? You're going to get picked off. It's better to be in community and it's better to have a big shield. So what does Paul mean when he talks about us taking up the shield of faith, right? Obviously, he's speaking metaphorically. We're not talking about taking up a, a literal shield, right? We're talking about taking up a metaphorical shield. So what does it mean that we're supposed to take up a shield of faith? And, and what are these fiery darts that are coming at us, right? Because the enemy is shooting these things at us. Well, first of all, let's talk about the shield of faith. Um, the shield of faith is... Um, is more than just believing in Jesus. Let's start there, All right? Some, a lot of you are, are Jesus followers. That's why you're here. You're, you're in the community of, of the followers of Jesus. Some of you aren't, and, and I'm glad you're here. It's a great place to ask questions and, 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 and explore, right? Um, but if you're a follower of Jesus, it means that you've believed in Jesus for your salvation. You got your helmet, right? When you believe in Jesus for salvation, you're protected. Christ's identity is put on you and you're his, right? The enemy can't take that from you. The enemy cannot take your eternal life. The enemy cannot take your security in Christ. When you believe in Jesus, you are covered with the record, the righteousness, all the goodness of Jesus, okay? So you're protected. The shield of faith is different than the helmet of salvation. When we're talking about taking up the shield of faith, we're not just talking about going into the battle with just salvation, See, if you go into the battle with, with just your, your helmet of salvation, like, yeah, man, I'm, I got my, my helmet of salvation. I believed in Jesus. Well, how does that impact the rest of your life? Nah, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Do you realize that you are, in fact, um, in greater danger? Like, like, if you saw somebody enter the battlefield and all they had on was a helmet, <laughs> and you're the archer, what are you going to do? You, that helmet becomes a bullseye. You've actually attracted more attention to yourself right? If you've believed in Jesus, but that's it, you're actually going to draw greater attack. You're going to make your life miserable because the enemy's going to look at that and go, there's somebody who believed in Jesus, but their faith is only related to their salvation. See, we need more than just faith that leads to salvation. We need faith that leads us to trust our Savior. See, the helmet of salvation focuses on us Believing in Jesus for our eternal life, right? For our salvation. The shield of faith focuses on us believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus for daily life. Actually walking in trust, growing in trust for our Savior, trusting that He is sufficient for our challenges. See, what we're talking about with the shield of faith is, is a faith that's not simply for the glorious by and by, but for the gritty here and now. A faith that relates to every aspect of your life. A faith that is relevant to your workplace and to your home and to your free time and to your money. A faith that impacts everything you do in this life. See, sometimes we are tempted to simply trust Jesus with our souls, but we balk, we hold back, we, 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 
we, we become afraid and, and pull back when it comes to trusting him with the daily realities of our life. You ever been there? Follower of Christ, have you ever been at that place where you believe in Jesus for your salvation, but honestly, you just don't want to obey him? Hey, the answer is yes, okay? I'll answer it for you. Um, the answer is yes. We've all been there. We've all been at that place where it's like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but honestly, right now, I just don't trust him that much, right? When, when, when what he asks me to do seems, I don't know, counterintuitive, when his command comes to me, and whatever it is, I'm, I'm looking at the sin or the obedience, and I'm like, you know what? The sin looks a lot better right now. The sin looks more gratifying. The sin looks way more enjoyable. And, and God's rules look more like fences to keep me away from life rather than pathways to lead me to it. I don't want to obey. The real issue there is you don't trust your Savior. That's the real issue. You believe in Him for your salvation, but you don't trust Him to actually bless your life. And so you're looking at Him basically saying, okay, I trust you with my soul, but right now I'm, I'm kind of going to take my own path because I, I just trust myself a little bit more right now, Right? When Jesus asks you to take a risk, right? The scripture is full of, of invitations to risk. Risky behavior, risky, you know, like, like sharing your faith with people, serving people, getting involved with people that are needy, right? They just kind of suck you dry a little bit, you know? And in that moment, you're like, yeah, I don't think so, huh? That one, that one costs a little bit too much. I'll, I'll go talk to this guy over here, right? This one's safer. This one's more convenient. This one's easier. The risk is too high, right? You know what's really going on there? You don't trust your Savior, right? He's leading you to a risk, and you're like, you know, in this moment, I trust myself more than I trust you, right? <clears throat> it's an issue of trust, and our lack of trust leads us to doubt God and justify our disobedience, when we don't act in trust, it only increases our doubt in God. And we will find ways to justify our disobedience. I deserve it. It's too much to ask. Uh, I'm just too tired. I don't have the reserves right now. We have a million and one ways of justifying our disobedience. Here's the deal, you guys. When we do, we open ourselves to attack. Listen to me. When we become followers of Jesus but we don't follow. It's like us standing on the battlefield and putting our, our shield on the ground. We are targets. We believe in Jesus, but we don't trust him. And so we don't follow him. And when we do that, we open ourselves up to attack. And the enemy loves it. <laughs> That's an easy target. He's a good archer, right? He's had a lot of experience attacking people. That's what he lives to do. And he loves to attack you. And he's going to attack you with these, these fiery darts. Fiery darts cut and burn. The attacks of the enemy are designed to cut you to your core and keep hurting. They open up wounds that don't heal. Now, what does he attack us with? Right? We know the enemy we've talked about this before. What, what is his primary tool of attack? It's, it's deception. Lies. If he can get us to believe a lie, we'll destroy ourselves. His work is done. 
If we can get, if he can get us to believe a lie, we won't turn to the truth to be healed, to be set free, to be filled with joy. He'll shoot us with lies. But the kind of lies that don't just mislead us, but hurt us because they cut and they burn. And what these lies are designed to do is, first of all, make us flinch from following our Savior. They're designed to make us flinch from following. And so, like, if we're tempted to pick up that shield, man, bam, you get hit. Increases your doubt in God. Increases your isolation, right? So you have your helmet of salvation on, but you're finding it harder and harder and harder to trust your Savior because you're, you're under attack. So it isolates you, causes us to flinch back from following. And, and then what do we do? We turn to self-medication. It hurts, so we need to fix ourselves. We're not connected to the Savior who fixes us, and so we turn to fixing ourselves. And, and, and at that point, we are lying on the battlefield in the fetal position with arrows sticking out of us, thinking we can fix ourselves. Not trusting the Savior who's saying, pick up your shield and follow me. Right? So, so let's talk about this a little bit. What are the arrows that the enemy shoots at us? Maybe, maybe one of these will ring true to you. I think, honestly, the enemy uses different attacks for different people. I think they're personalized. Like he knows us. Right? He studies us. He's really good at what he does. And the lies that he shoots, like he doesn't just like pull a random lie out and, you know, I'll, I'll hit you with this one. He knows what lie you are most susceptible to. He knows what lie hurts you the most. And that's where he's going to attack you, right? Maybe for you, it's, it's the lie that you aren't loved and in fact aren't lovable. Maybe at the base of every fear is that one fear. I'm afraid that at the end of the day, I am not loved. And it's because I am unlovable. There's something about me that is just wrong. There's something about me that just doesn't measure up. And so he shoots the arrow in. Bam. Right? We've pulled back from our Savior. We're not following in trust. He shoots us. That increases our isolation. It increases that voice of separation. I'm not loved, and I'm not being loved because I'm unlovable. So what do we do? We self-medicate. How do we do that? Well, lots of ways. Maybe you pretend. You know, maybe you pretend. You pretend to be better than you are so that people will like you more than you think they do, right? You're looking for people to feed that deep need of love, right? You're, you're living for the approval of others. You, you just, every time there's like somebody who shows approval to you, you're like a moth next to a flame. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you like me. Oh, you like me too, right? And, and you get close enough until you start smothering it, and then you, you go to somebody else. Why? Huh. Because you're believing a very, very deep lie that you aren't loved and you're not lovable. And so you are just craving every sign of affection you can find, right? For some of you, you go to the opposite extreme. It's the same thing. But instead of like being drawn to everybody, you isolate everybody. You put on a front that basically says, I don't need you. I'm independent. I'm strong. I'm isolated and I'm okay with that. I don't like people, right? People annoy me. You know, both of those, neither one of those are strong. The one looks like they have a lot of friends and they're very popular, but they're driven by insecurity. The other looks like they're independent and strong, but they are driven by insecurity. Both of those people that are bleeding out on the battlefield, believing a lie. I'm not loved because I'm not lovable. They're self-medicating, trying to deal with it. You know, maybe, maybe the lie you believe is that you're vulnerable and weak and there's no protection for you. 
You are vulnerable and weak, and there's no protection for you. And so you are driven by this deep fear. Things threaten you continually. So you self-medicate. How? By, by maybe organizing everything, controlling everything, controlling everybody, right? When things are out of control, you feel like you're in chaos because you're vulnerable and, and you're not protected. Nobody is there for you to protect you. Nobody is there for you, looking out for you. Nobody is there to be strong for you. So you have to be strong. You pretend to be strong to others, and you, t- you even pretend to be strong to your own heart. You get everything in order, and then you pretend like you got your kingdom all straightened up, right? Until something comes in to disrupt it, and whatever that is becomes the enemy. And so you divert all your attention on, on this enemy that's disrupting your kingdom because you, you need to keep yourself self-deceived that you're actually in control. Maybe the lie is that you're a failure and a fraud. That one's mine. I'll own it. I've known for a long time that that one's mine. Um, and, and it's this sense, I just grew up feeling like um, I would never measure up. That I would never be a man, that I would never be respectable, that I would never be strong. And, and, and if people really knew who I was, they wouldn't respect me, Right? When I first became a teacher, I was a teacher for 17 years, a teacher and a principal. And you guys, a lot of you know that. And, and, and when I first became a teacher, um, I really enjoyed the classroom, really enjoyed teaching, and, and honestly didn't have a whole lot of trouble creating a rapport with the students, um, exercising discipline in the classroom. Um, that wasn't a challenge for me. And yet I would have this recurring dream where I was standing up in front of the class and I was talking and nobody was listening and I couldn't do anything about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like kind of that going to school naked thing. Like, oh, well, look, I'm, you know, it's like me like waking up and I'm like, oh, look, I have no control. I have no respect and there's nothing I can do about it. Deep insecurity, right? When I became a, uh, a pastor um, and, and it was right after Darren had kind of said, dude, you're a church planter. I think you need to go. Um, I had this dream that, that I was in this huge church, like thousands of people and, and, um, and, and Darren was introducing me, and he was like, hey, this guy's going to blah, blah, blah. And I walk up into the pulpit behind Darren, and it's so big, I can't even see over it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you guys get the symbolism here? Like, like not only can you not hear me, you can't even see me, right? Darren's pulpit is so big, I'm like hidden back here, right? Deep insecurities of the soul. The lie that I have been tempted to believe my whole life is that I'm a failure. I'm a failure. And so I need to hide it. Because if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't respect me. You wouldn't love me. You wouldn't follow me. You wouldn't, I would be, so I had to keep it hidden. How do I hide it? Through success. I have to succeed in everything I do. I have to do more than everybody else, and I have to do it faster. I have to do it better. I have always been driven, right? (laughs) Thankfully, God has continually pushed me to my weakness to find his strength, Right? We'll talk about that in a minute, how the gospel plays into this. But that, that's mine. And so driven to succeed, right? And you find yourself leading out with success. Every time you meet somebody, pretty soon you're leading out with your resume. You're kind of pushing across the table what makes you great. You find very early in the conversation ways to kind of, oh, yeah, this is who I am, and these are my accolades. This is who I am, and this is what I've done. This is, what I, this is why you should respect me. This is why you should, you know what I'm saying? Now, some of you do the same thing, but you do it on a flip side. It's the same thing. It looks, but, but some of you lead out with your woundedness. Like, here's my resume of suffering. Here's my resume of how I've been abused. Here's my resume. And, and, and you're doing the same exact thing. 
You're finding, you're, you're, you're self-medicating by basically pushing something across the table that is designed to provoke in something in somebody that you desperately think you need. Their respect, their pity, their love. Maybe the lie you believe is that you're doomed to unhappiness and disappointment. Some people are driven by this sense that life with a capital L has just left them without hope and isn't going to bless you. You're just not going to get it. So you feel like you have to fight for your own good. You feel like you're entitled to every um, indulgence and to every, and so you don't feel guilty about your little hidden pleasures because you deserve them. Life's robbing you. And you, here's the deal. The enemy knows your weakness. The enemy knows your weakness better than you do. And when you don't have trust in Christ, he'll attack you where it hurts. He'll shoot a dart in that not only hurts, but keeps burning, right? And driving you away from your Savior. The heart of the attack is this. The ultimate heart of the attack is despair. That's what the enemy wants to plant in your heart. Despair is when you see a lack of hope and you reject hope. That's despair. You see a lack of hope and then you embrace that by saying there is no hope. That's what the enemy wants to plant in your heart. That this is, in fact, what defines you, and it will never change. And it will burn you forever. See, that is so different from the gospel, which is designed to put an explosive hope in your heart. A hope for something that is greater than who you are. Right? A hope that is, that is greater than, than the attack. Right? The enemy wants you to think you can't trust God. Right? That, that's why we need the shield of faith. We need to be growing in our trust of our Savior, in, in His power and His character, right? So that when we feel unlovable, the truth of the gospel comes in and reminds us that we are loved. When we feel unlovable, we, we remember that I'm not lovable because of what I've accomplished or who I am. I'm lovable because the God of the universe has declared me His. I'm His son. I am God's man. You are His daughter. You are God's woman. He has placed on you His glory. He has adopted you into His family, when you fill your vision with the truth of the gospel, it leads you to trust your character. Instead of running from him, you run to him. Instead of self-medicating, you gospel-medicate, right? And for me, the way that's been pushed out in my life is God has again and again and again pushed me into my inadequacy. He has continually pushed me into realms where I felt completely inadequate for the task at hand. So, so I had no choice but to push into him. I had no choice but to rely on him and lean on him. So that when we feel vulnerable, instead of fighting for ourselves, exposed and helpless, we run to him because we know he's strong. You guys, here's the deal. If we're going to be protected, our faith in Jesus needs to grow our trust in Jesus. We need to grow in trust so that we are quick to run to him instead of away from him. Quick to obey him instead of question him. Quick to follow him, slow to accuse him. We need to grow in our trust for our Savior. So how do you do that? How do you grow in your trust for God? Well, honestly, you're going to do it in the same way you grow in trust in any relationship. How do you grow in trust in any relationship? It's very simply by getting to know somebody and being known and testing their faithfulness. That's how it works. You get to know somebody right? You move into a relationship with them. They get to know you, 
right? That's a casual friendship, maybe even a warm friendship. Maybe you have a lot in common. But trust doesn't come in until something happens in that relationship where you need them and they come through. You got to lean on them. You need their support in some way. They have to do something out of their way or out of the ordinary. And when they do, when you push into their faithfulness and they prove to be faithful, it increases your trust, right? So how do we grow in our trust for Christ? We need to know him and we need to test him. We need to know who he is and we need to test his faithfulness. We need to push out in faith in ways that are risky so that he can prove his faithfulness to us. So what does that mean that we need to know him? Um, It means that we need to come to see him for how he actually is, right? He's trustworthy. He's absolutely trustworthy, but we're so slow to trust him. You know why? Because we haven't filled our vision with, with what inspires trust. Some of you right now are in situations where honestly, things are hard. And you don't know if God is good. Things aren't going the way you want them to. Things may not go the way you planned for them to go. Maybe there's suffering that is out of your control and you're having a difficult time trusting that God is good. Well, I'm going to recommend to you this. When you have a difficult time trusting God is good, look at the cross. You know what you see at the cross? A God who so loved you that he identified himself with your shame, rejection, sin, rebellion, everything dirty and bad about you. He so fully identified with it that he died in your place. You will not find a more profound demonstration of love in the universe. When you have a difficult time trusting that God is good, fill your vision with the cross, not with your trouble. Take your eyes off your suffering and fill it instead with the suffering of Christ. Because when you see Christ suffering in your stead, in your place, it will produce in you a response of love and trust for the goodness of God. That acts as a shield that protects you from the enemy's attack in the middle of your struggle, right? You're out on the battlefield. Things are going, you need the shield. Push in, right? Maybe you're in a situation where you doubt the power of God. Maybe you're looking at your situation right now and you're saying, I don't know if God can fix this. I don't know if God has the power to to redirect this, to fix it, to make it right. When you doubt the power of God, fill your vision with the resurrection. Because when you see a risen Christ, you see on display a God who brings life from the dead, who speaks things into existence that did not previously exist. You have a God who is infinitely loving and infinitely powerful. Why wouldn't you trust him? because you don't see him clearly. That's why. You don't see him for who he is. That's why we need to continually renew our vision of Christ. We need to know him as he is. So we need to know him in a deep and and, and a profound way. We need to fill our vision with Jesus. (laughs) But we also need to take some risks. See, some of you have gotten just a little bit too fearful And you've gotten comfortable just hanging back. I've already told you, man, what happens when you hang back? 
If, if Christ is marching on and, and you're falling behind, you're making yourself a target. <laughs> you need to take some risks, right? You need to test his faithfulness. You need to prove to your heart that the heart of God is faithful, that he honors his promises, that he comes through for his glory and for your joy. You need to take some risks. And as you take risks, it grows your faith. As you step out in faith, it grows your faith. As he proves himself strong, it increases your confidence in his strength. You have to test your faith to grow your trust. Now, I'm not talking about a reckless testing of your faith. When I was in college, I had a buddy who used to say this all the time. He'd be like, I'm going to do something so big that if God's not in it, it's going to fail. Guess what? It failed. You know why? God's not interested in our performance. God doesn't need us to do big things for Him. God's not interested in our performance. He's interested in our obedience. Do you get the difference? He's not interested in us having this great vision for Him. He's interested in us submitting to His great vision for us. And when you get that right... It's no longer about you performing for God. It's about you simply following the God who's performing. And if he says, speak, you speak. And if he says, be silent, you're silent. Even if everything in you wants to speak. And if he says, go, you go. And if he says, wait, you wait. Not for your glory, but for his. Not so that you can build a kingdom, but so that he can build his kingdom. Not because you're performing for him, but because you're resting in him, right? It's not about our performance for him. It's about our obedience to him. So don't ask, what great thing can I do for God? Instead, ask these two simple questions. One, how is God calling me to be faithful? And two, how is God asking me to be on mission? Because he's doing both right now. If you're a follower of Christ, he is doing both. How is God calling me to be faithful? How is God calling you to obey him? And then how is God calling you to be on mission? We have a missionary God, right? We have a God who came on mission in the person of Christ to redeem and restore the created order. And that mission is not over. Christ has won the battle, but the mission continues to push forward through the redemption and restoration of people's lives. And if you're a follower of Christ, it means that very thing. You are following him on mission, How is God asking you to be on mission? One's about personal holiness and one is about missional behavior, right? Now think about it, you guys. Every time you turn to sin instead of Christ, personal holiness, every time you look at God and say, I'm sorry, your rule looks like a restriction instead of a pathway to life, what are you saying? You're saying, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I feel like I need to have sex. That's what I need. Makes me feel loved, makes me feel masculine, makes me feel joyful, right? I feel like I need to cheat on my taxes. Why? Because I need the money. I feel like I need to lie. Why? Because it makes me look good in front of people I want to impress. Every single one of those is a statement to God I don't trust you. I trust myself. 
How is God calling you to be faithful? If you want to grow your shield of faith, if you want to grow the protection above you, you need to push in and trust him even if it feels horribly wrong. Even if it feels scary and threatening. Even if it costs you money. Even if it costs you face in front of people you want to impress. Push in. And I'm telling you, when you push in, you're going to find him faithful. He's going to meet you in ways your lie, your sin never could. He will meet deep needs of your soul in ways your behavior never could. He is faithful. Push in. How is God asking you to obey? Secondly, how is he asking you to be on mission? You know, we've been given a message that is the hope of the world. And that's not overstating it. I am not overstating the case. This is not me, you know, exaggerating for preacher effect, right? We have been given a message that is the hope of the world. God has broken into the created order and so identified himself with lost and broken humanity that there is redemption and restoration available through faith in Christ. And through the work of Christ, he will restore all things. He will recreate the created order for his glory and our joy. It is the most revolutionary message of hope the world has ever received. But it's been entrusted to us. Do you get that? That message has been entrusted to us. God could have done it. He could have had angels announcing it. He could have rented billboards. He could have taken a TV spot. He trusted us. That means we need to take risks. God is calling you to be on mission. He is calling you as somebody who has received the grace of God to share the grace of God in word and in deed with people who desperately need life. It will be costly. It's risky. Some of you have never shared your faith very simply because you're afraid of being rejected. And yet you come to the very Savior who was rejected on your behalf so that you might have life. Listen to me. Following Christ is walking a path that will identify you with the shame of Christ, but the shame of Christ is the glory of the universe. How will you reject the glory for fear of the shame? Push out in risk. The reward is great. I had a mentor tell me once that if I wanted to grow my faith, I needed to give it away. Some of you are so afraid of risking that you're killing your own faith. You need to risk. You need to love people who are unlovable. You need to share the truth with people who reject you. You need to become a witness of the radical grace of God because it is the message of life. It is God's plan to redeem and restore the created order. And as you test your faith, you will grow in your trust. Do you catch that? As you test your faith, you will grow your trust. And the good news is that you're not on this, in this on your own. You're in community, right? We've been called to do this with the people of God, with the community of faith. That's why places like Trailhead Church are so important because it allows us to come together as the people of faith to feed one another's faith and to feed off of one another's faith, right? 
You ever been around somebody who was bold? Bold for the gospel, bold in their confidence in Christ. What did that do to you? Did it not inspire you to boldness? When you saw them taking risks and you saw them enjoy walking in the glory that came from simply bearing the name of Christ, man, it inspires you, right? So we lean into the faith of others and the faith of others feeds our faith. That's why we need to be in the community of faith. That's why we need to go deep with other Christ followers. In the same way, they would come together and put all their shields together and it would create a greater area of protection for them to move forward. We need to be deep in the relationship with the people of God so that we can move forward on mission because we spur each other on in community to mission. All right, I want to take a few moments here at the end. And I want to talk to you guys um, as a community, specifically as the community of Trailhead Church. Because there are some ways that I believe God is calling us as a church to push forward, to risk, but to do so to prove the faithfulness of God. God's calling us to move ahead on mission. See, God's calling each one of us to grow our shield of faith, to grow in our trust in Christ, but he's also calling us as a church to grow deep in our sense of community and in our trust for our Savior that he's leading us as a body, right? As your pastor, I'm keenly aware of this, of of my need to grow in trust for Christ and my need to, to lead a community that's growing in trust individually, but also corporately as a church. And so what I want to do is I want to unpack a few areas where I believe as a church, we need to push forward in faith and trust Christ. Okay. First of all, I want to talk to you about church planting. God is growing our influence in the area of church planting. Trailhead Church's influence. We're part of two networks. We planted under Acts 29, and then we came under a group called Converge. Acts 29 connects us to great people, leaders like like Matt Chandler and and Mark Driscoll and and Darren Patrick. Um, Darren Patrick's the pastor at The Journey, right? We're a daughter church of The Journey. They planted us. They sent us out, right? So Acts 29 connects us with, with wonderful missionally-minded leaders. Converge connects us with a whole other set of, of wonderful leaders. Guys like Gary Rohrmeyer, he's not, <laughs> you're never going to hear of that guy, but man, he is in the trenches working hard. But other guys like, like um, John Piper, okay, it's, it's another network of, of people. This is what the two networks have in common, and this is what I want to drive home. They're both driven by church planting. They're both driven by this need to continually start new churches, And so we as a church, man, we've been actively praying about how God would call us to be involved in the process of starting new churches. And and the elder candidates and I have been praying about this, and we've set some goals, and I'm going to share them with you. Over the next 10 years, we would like to give birth to five churches. Over the next 10 years, we would like to daughter church or bless church planters and start five churches. That's going to require an investment of time and energy and resources. You're going to see residents around here. You're going to see them up here at times preaching and learning how to preach. Um, we, we want to have a hand in the planting of 20 churches over the next 10 years. Like we want to give birth to five churches, but we want to have a hand in, in actually helping 20 churches get planted through resourcing and coaching and, and, and other ways like that. We've been praying about this. Why is this important? 
Because God gave us the Great Commission, and the Great Commission is the definition of His mission, right? Go out and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a sense of pushing the gospel out and, and planting new churches. The church is the heart of God's mission. There's no greater way to impact a local community than the planting of a church, right? A gospel-believing, Jesus-preaching church. What, what needs do you have in a community? Financial needs, social justice needs, uh, economic needs. What greater way to impact that community than to plant a church where people are going to come into the re- restoring and redemptive power of the gospel and re-engage their community in, in the generosity of grace? There's no greater way to impact a community than the planting of churches. It's God's mission and it's for good, it's for people's good. The local church is the hope of the world because Jesus is at the heart of the local church. He's put all his eggs in that basket. You read the New Testament, that's his plan. <laughs> Broken, jacked up people coming together in the name of Christ, being transformed by the power of Christ for the glory of God and inviting others to join them in it. At the end of last year, Trailhead was approached by Converge and given an opportunity to partner with them in a unique way. Um, They asked Trailhead to become a a church planting center, and and they asked me to become the church planting director for all of Missouri and Southern Illinois. And essentially what that means is is they they, they saw our our vision, and, and they saw our passion, and they saw that God was actually bringing in a network of relationships that were working toward church planting, and they said, we want to come behind you with some money. We want to help you do that. And so we've taken that position. And so I want you to know, Trailhead members and regular attenders, you are part of that church planting movement. This is our DNA. We are a church plant. We're two and a half years old. We were sent out by a church planting church called The Journey, and we are a church planting church. And we will continue to push this forward, right? We love church planting. (laughs) But our primary love is for Trailhead. We're not getting so regionally or even globally minded that we're not focusing on trailhead trailhead is the local church that god has called me to lead and called us to be committed to and because of this i want to let you know of another step of faith that god is calling us to and that is that we are um, actually hiring um brian our worship guy we're transitioning him um from part-time to full-time i'm moving him from 15 hours a week to 50 um and, uh, and, and, and he has been responsible for the leading of our worship department and, and the leading of our, of our um, music. And um, we're going to actually commission him to continue pushing that forward. But he's also going to take responsibility um, for leading our student ministry. We're going to resurrect our student ministry to our middle school and high school students. We see that as a critical need as we continue to move forward as a church that will allow us to, to minister to our own uh, families but also to continue to connect with families that are coming in from the community, right? We've got people coming in that, that don't have a church home, and one of their first questions is, what do you have for my kids? Right? When they find out that, well, we don't have anything organized, man, they just see that as a barrier to the gospel. We're going we're gonna to remove that, okay? Um, Brian's a guy that, that, man, when he came around, he was a mess. <laughs> he was scattered and, and just kind of chaotic and um, over the last three years, man, he has just grown into a man of God that I respect and I love, and, and I'm really excited about him bringing his strength to the team and, and um, 
you know, using his gifts for the advancement and the benefit of, of Trailhead Church, okay? Um, one final step I want to let you know about. He's going to be starting in July, by the way. He's finishing up his school year. You can be praying for him and Melinda as they go through that transition. One final step of faith that I want to let you know about, and that is that we are working toward getting Trailhead a more permanent location. Um, we have had conversations with the folks of our First Presbyterian, which is a church here in town. They have property outside of town. Their plan is to build. This, this church is located right down here, um, probably less than a half mile away. It's straight behind the Wildy, one of, in one of the historic neighborhoods of Edwardsville. Um, and um, we met with them a couple weeks ago, and we have come to a verbal agreement that we're going to move forward in trying to purchase their building. Um, that's all it is at this point. And I don't have a lot more details because the reality is we haven't even set a price yet. We're in the process of getting appraisals and, and doing all of that. Um, but we knew when we got this location that, that it was temporary. I mean, God has blessed us here. I mean, this has been a great place to, to serve and, and grow and love our community. Um, and God has protected it. You know, we've been on this, this crazy renewable lease where we can get kicked out at any time if somebody complains. And it's been years and God has just protected us in this space. Um, and it's been awesome. It's been great. But we knew all along this was temporary. And, 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 and Plummer, um, Mr. Plummer, who owns this property, has been tremendously generous with us. And we're very thankful for that. Uh, we expect to be in this space for at least another year. That's, that's how it looks right now. But we are in the process of moving toward um, hopefully securing us a, a, uh, a building, right? Um, and God seems to be moving us toward First Presbyterian. This would give us a home base from which to grow and to serve our community. Um, it would give us room to grow. It would give us more elbow room. Um, it would give us the freedom to use our space to serve our community. Like we could actually have weddings, right, in our own church. You know, like this doesn't work. Um, and um, it, it would allow us to, to have, uh, like, like move forward with, man, we've been talking about and dreaming about this counseling center that we would have gospel center Christian counseling in the Metro East. And, and anyway, Lots of doors seem to be opening for this, and this seems to be a great location for us to, to move forward on mission. Um, and so we're moving toward that. Now, remember, this is just the beginning of the conversation. Uh, if everything goes perfectly, we could be in there as early as, as a year from this summer. Um, if things don't go perfectly, if it falls through, that doesn't matter. What we really need to do is be faithful to what God is asking us to do right now. And the, and, and the elder candidates and I really believe that at this point, God is telling us to get prepared. That we need to start getting prepared for the move. Now, we think this is the move that he's going to lead us toward. This is what we're praying about, have been praying about, and working toward. And it seems like everything's lining up for it. If it falls through, that's not a crisis. God's just going to direct us somewhere else. Okay? Um, but we do believe that... that um, he is going to move us toward a, a more permanent location, okay? So here's our takeaways for this morning. Here's our takeaways for this morning. First, uh, if you're here and you haven't trusted Christ, you need to do that. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to put on your helmet of salvation, okay? It's a free offer, uh, and it's only free because God paid the price, right? His son died in your place for your sin and rose again that you might be justified. All he asks is that you believe. So I'm going to invite you. If you're, if you're hearing me talk about Jesus this morning and you're hearing me talk about a life filled with faith and vision, and you're like, that's a Jesus I don't know, but I would like to. I want to invite you to go to the back at the end. We're going to have leaders back here that will be happy to pray with you and talk you through an understanding of the gospel. Okay? 
If you're a follower of Christ, I'm going to encourage you to push deeply into your faith. Be faithful. (laughs) Ask God, where are you asking me to obey? Ask God, where are you asking me to be on mission? More specifically, who are you asking me to be on mission with? God will bring a name, a face to your mind. Somebody he wants you to serve, to know, to speak the gospel to. Who do you want me to be on mission to, right? And then I'm going to ask you to be on mission with us as a community because God has set a challenge in front of us. He's going ahead of us. It's clear that he is. He's giving us momentum and blessing. But we need to be faithful. We need to push in and um, uh, test the faithfulness of God. So the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is pray. Pray, pray, pray. And I, prayer is one of the core values of our church. We need you to pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for direction. Pray for favor. Pray for equipping. Pray for our leaders as we move through an incredibly stressful season. Um, just pray for the, the, the people that we want to connect with in our community, people that are far from God that desperately need to hear about his love. Pray. And then I'm also going to give you an opportunity to give. We need you to be involved. There's going to be a lot of ways to be involved as we move forward, lots of ways to serve, to clean. To, I mean, there's just going to be tons of ways to, to put a little bit of um, sweat equity into this thing. But first, we need to begin with um, financial equity. Um, we are a generous community. We really are. We are a community that has been just leveled by grace, and as a result, we are generous. And, and the church has been blessed as a result. As it, equi- it has equipped us to move forward on mission. It's equipping us to do things like hiring Brian, which is a, a critical thing to help the church move and grow. That's the generosity um, that comes from being oppressed by grace. And so I want to give you a special opportunity in that generosity, and that is to give to a special offering. We're going to be taking it in six weeks on June 9th. And at that offering, what we're going to be doing is taking a collection that will do two things. 90% of it is going to go toward our building fund. It's not going to be all do all, but it will help us with the first part of it, right? We're already running into expenses with appraisals and, 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 and all those sorts of things. Um, it's going to help us with that. 10% of it's going to go to church planting, okay? Because we want to keep our priorities focused even as we move forward. And so I'm going to encourage you. There's more information that's going to be coming out about that, but I'm going to ask you to pray about that. How does God want you to be involved? How does God want you to partner with the people of God and share in the sacrifice of helping us impact our community? You guys, think about it. We have a a tremendous opportunity in front of us to minister to this community in a way that is going to impact them for generations. You know, we're, we're building something that's not just for us, it's for our kids. And it's not just for our kids, it's for their future husbands and wives and their friends and for the good of this city. What a tremendous privilege we have to partner together on mission. We need to push in to the one who is faithful so that he can prove himself faithful. And I trust we will, as a, as a community, grow in trust as we continue to push forward in this.